Hey, it's Michael Angelo Caruso. I'm with Dwayne Norris. How are you, Dwayne? Doing excellent, Michael. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everybody that uh, we do a lot of these interesting types of interviews on the YouTube channel. If you want to see uh, these types of things, if you like video, if you like good, compelling conversation, you want to subscribe to the Michael Angelo Caruso YouTube channel, make sure you click that silver bell so that you receive notification when new videos are posted. And uh, I really appreciate uh, all your feedback, everybody. You've been so terrific on, uh, on what you like and what you don't like. I appreciate that. Dwayne, uh, we met through Rotary, and I was so impressed with you instantly, man. You're, Likewise. Just the fact that you're a Rotarian is good. I know you're a professional uh, businessman. You've got financial acumen. You're a family man. You're a good-looking dude. What's not to like? Dwayne. I mean, you know, I, I consider myself a total package, but, you know. <laughs> All right, thanks for being with us, everybody. We got to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then well, I found you, out. Thank you, but thank you for that. I appreciate that. And then I found out you've got, like, this socially conscious side, and, and, yeah. and we all do, I think, but you're very fervent about yours, and you're very articulate about yours, and I thought it would be fun right. to have a conversation about current events and, and maybe even future events and and just trade perspectives on all this madness that's going on right now and how we just ruminate for a little bit about how we got to this place and then maybe even yep. offer some ideas about how we can all improve our situation. Let's do it. Yeah. When you, do you, you watch the news in the morning? So I got rid of my cable, I don't know, maybe like seven months or so ago. I used to watch things like the morning Joe and XYZ. Now I have to go online to get my news and I'll be honest, I didn't go online today and get, the news so but, but yes you, i do watch i do watch a few online shows i watch some stuff on youtube i watch the hill rising and uh some of the shows that have a little bit more balance to them yeah i like balance too i don't like people to chew my food before i eat it exactly yeah uh do you find yourself shaking your head at some of this stuff that's that's going on these <laughs> i don't know how you could not um you know what's we're, we're living in a time that seems almost unbelievable um, you know, we've let a lot of stuff go unsettled or unfinished, um, unaddressed, and, um, it's surfacing in, in a lot of different ways. And so, yeah, you can almost, you can't really help but shake your head and say, you know, how have we not solved this or how have we not addressed this or how have we not put more effort into finding a solution on this? So yeah, I shake my head quite a bit. And then on top of, you know, the craziness that comes out of the, the White House and some of the other stuff. Um, yeah, you can't help but shake your head and say, you know, how do we get here? I mean, I think with, I think it's without debate. And you, you could argue that the, that some of the guys that, you know, founded the United States of America were very highly intelligent. I mean, uh, yeah, well, for sure. Alexander Hamilton wrote, uh, just singularly wrote some of the, the most impressive documents and he would sit just he's musing, you know, and he writes better than I could ever put anything together. Yeah. But I think we live in the best educated modern society ever. And, and we just, we're working with idiots a lot of the time. And let's just start, let's just yeah. start with what happens in the White House. How much of it is, how much of the tone of what's happening is set at the top? I mean, so to your point about us living in the most educated time, that's like, I feel like that's the yes and no. We're educated about certain things. Um, I feel like in general, our country has 
done away with keeping us engaged on civic issues and on other things that that could be taught at a younger level. So I think that our, our civic engagement is not where it needs to be. And so our ability to hold certain institutions and things accountable has has gone downhill over the last 50 or so years. I think civil rights was, was very strong and we had a very actively engaged uh, society. And I think we have kind of taken, taken our foot off the gas a little bit and that's allowed you know, who's in the White House to now occupy it is that we, 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 we've gotten to a place, I feel like, where we are very educated. We have a lot of education at our fingertips, but we're also so busy and consumed with so many other things that we are not holding, you know, our, our fundamentals strong. And the way that this country was founded, the things that they, they put value on, um, you know, has not been, been held yeah. to highest standards these days. I want to come back to accountability in just a second, but let's stay on the, the thread of how role modeling works. Um, I've tried really hard not to let certain people inside my head because yeah. I think when you do that, you know, you give up a piece of yourself and, and I don't like to give up a piece of myself to people I don't respect or people that seem to lack fundamental human traits, like say yep. empathy. Yep. Right. I agree. Um, but I think a lot of people do let say, and it could be the president of the United States on another occasion, it might be the secretary of state on another occasion, it might be a, a leader of a national group. You know, yep. we could be talking about anybody here that, that we let this kind of poor role model be just that for us. And it takes yep. us down a path where it's harder for us to even, ex if we can't explain that person, then it becomes hard to explain our, our own thoughts and our own behavior because we, we kind of hitched our wagon to them. And yeah. I think we've seen a lot of that this time. This particular president seems to have gotten inside a lot of people's heads. I mean, he's very polarizing, if that's uh, you know, the, the right term for that. But he's very uh, opinionated and, um, and his seemingly lack of empathy and ability to connect with certain demographics uh, does make it hard for people to not have very visceral reactions to the things he says and does. Um, you know, it is, it is very true that leadership matters. Um, I think, you know, throughout all of our time as a country, as a nation, as a world, we've looked to certain leaders to help guide us. Um, you know, otherwise we wouldn't even need a government if everybody knew what to do at all times and we could run things, you know, sufficiently as, as little small communities. We, we go back to that, that whole tribe mentality, but you know, we need leadership and um, this current leader um, has made it hard, for, I think, for a lot of people to really understand where we're trying to go. Um, and so giving people direction and a vision about what it looks like on the other side, if we go through this difficult time, this is how good it's going to be. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people have a sense of, of, <laughs> of what we're going through right now and where if it, if it even has the potential to lead us to a better place. So I think definitely you know, the, the leadership at the top is, is very important. Yeah. And by the way, when I talk about these things, and I do a lot of public speaking, I do a lot of uh, podcasting, I do a lot of stuff where it's in front of the curtain where people can see me, reflect yep. on it, comment. This is not a political conversation to me. Yeah, no, I agree. It has nothing to do with Republic, Republican versus Democrat. It has nothing to do with Green Party. It has nothing to do with progressives versus conservatives. Uh, if a guy doesn't, you mentioned the, the fact that the current president has strong opinions, that by itself doesn't trouble me. Yeah. But when I witness a, a, a pattern of a lack of empathy, or yeah. I get a sense that a person is not very well read, 
or doesn't care to take in quality information. Or my particular pet peeve, because I happen to teach presentation skills, if somebody's a poor communicator, yeah. that bugs me. Especially if they're, if, if they're getting you know, the microphones in front of their face a lot, yeah. and they're a poor communicator. And, and it's supposed and to be representing a certain faction of people, including me. That's the part, right? So you know, he gets to communicate to a certain demographic when he's in front of the microphone, but he kind of ignores the rest of us. And again, as a representative of all of America, you would hope that he is taking in the voices of people who necessarily don't agree, um, but trying to use those to better inform himself. Um, and maybe he is behind the curtains, but out in front of the curtains, uh, it does not feel that way. Um, you know, it really doesn't feel that way. And so, yeah, I'm not a political guy in the sense that I don't really care about red and blue and I don't really care about Democrat, Republican. I consider myself pretty independent and a free thinking individual. I like to weigh facts and data and I like to understand both sides of, of anything before I'm trying to, you know, take my heart and opinions. Um, and so, you know, him being a Republican doesn't bother me. What bothers me is, again, as you mentioned, the lack of empathy and the lack of, uh, of seemingly care for certain subsets of our, of our community. And, you know, even if he has them, which let's pretend like he does, not being able to communicate that is, is where a lot of that visceral frustration comes into play. Yeah. That even if you say you do care about black people, marginalized communities, gay people, and you do, and you're trying to work out policies behind closed doors that do actually help these these communities in, in broad terms, not being able to articulate that in a way that, that, that connects is a big issue. So Yeah, you know, part of the problem with wobbly communication is that it's, it's more open to interpretation. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you tend to be a person who's not articulate, your message doesn't land because it was never carefully crafted. Yeah. Even carefully crafted messages are open to interpretation. For sure. But, but when you're wobbly about it and and you have a poor vocabulary and you repeat the same words over and over again, it, it doesn't provide meaning and nuance and direction to your message. It's just kind of this uh, blob of mess, blob of uh, talking points that comes out. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that uh, an issue with accountability and you linked it to education. Like here we are, this highly allegedly highly educated, uh, and there are people among us, of course, that, that could do better with this, with the education piece. But you linked it to a lack of accountability. Can you talk more about that? Why do you feel like the fact that we're, we're highly educated and have the ability, do you think, you think when you become highly educated, you become, it's, more, it's easier to hold people accountable? I would hope so, because you know what they're talking about. You can then, like, just like you mentioned, that blob of information when someone's trying to throw so much stuff at you and see what sticks. But when you have discernment and you have education, you can sort through what's fact and fiction a lot easier. And I think we have a, a society that has gotten, I don't want to say dumbed down because I, I hate that, but we, we like the, the quick and easy talking points and, and we're missing a lot of nuance, in, at least in our politis, political sphere. And I feel like we're not teaching civics and, and community engagement and, and political engagement in schools and things like that. We're kind of expecting people to figure those things out on their own. And it's, it's maybe not the way that we should be. But I would imagine if I was a government trying to control people, which I, I will not you know, go too left on this conversation in terms of, of but uh, I would say that I also would not be focused on teaching people those things because then it would be easier for them to see our tricks. But I think our government has become less accountable 
to the people. I think that anybody looking at polls of Congress would say that's the truth, that you know, many of the things that they vote on uh, do not track favorably with the American people as a whole. There's things that they are not voting on that have 80%, 90% you know, uh, um, constituency approval, but they vote with the side of the funders and, and, and the lobbyists and the people that fund their campaigns. And in part because we don't have enough civic engagement to really hold their feet to the fire. We're not really uh, keeping them accountable, I think, in the way that we should. And it allows them to get away with certain stuff and pull the wool over our eyes or keep things in a very uh, status quo kind of status. And um, I think that that's part of what's going to need to change uh, for us as a society. I think COVID has kind of helped in some ways do that, where we've had to slow down. Um, by keeping the American work hour so long, by not really keeping us educated on issues, it allows for a lot of things to go unseen and unnoticed. And in this scenario with COVID, we've had a forced slowdown. People are not employed, they're looking at the news, they're trying to take in information and really trying to connect dots and noticing that there are some significant gaps <laughs> in the country that we are versus what we project or promise to be. So I think there is, uh, there's hope for sure. But I think that that's a big part of how we've gotten where we are, is that we've allowed a lot of things to kind of just assume they were being done and not really engaging. COVID in some ways has made things a bit more complicated. Uh, a lot of ways, yeah. I think it was Richard Nixon that said, I don't know if he said it, but his administration kind of figured it out, that if, if people were hungry in the United States, they wouldn't be happy. And so the, the, the logical thing there to do was solve issues where people were worried about food, having food on the table, and then they mm -hmm. would, you know, think you were doing a good job. COVID's, COVID's complicated things in my mind because now you, you, when you factor everything together, you get like this bizarre scenario. I mean, you couldn't make it up. You got a bunch of people unemployed, not doing anything. Mm -hmm. They have to wear masks to go out. Yep. Uh, it's nice weather. <laughs> And, and it's like the perfect storm. And, and, and I think that's why we saw, that's, that's one of the reasons what we saw, it was so, I have a theory. I don't think it, I don't think it, I don't think it reduces the purposefulness of protesters, mm -hmm. but when it's easier and more convenient to protest, I yep. think the protests are a bit more fervent. For sure. Just human nature, you know, uh, Sure. We all want to be a part of something bigger. Yeah. And when you're wrapped up in your daily life, it's hard to engage on things that even if you're passionate about, you just don't maybe have yeah. the energy for. And now we have an opportunity where, you know, you are home, you have time, but you're also seeing something that, that is exciting or seeing something that has purpose. And we all want to be connected to something that has purpose. We all want higher, higher meaning. Yeah. And so I think that that has also contributed to, what we've seen with the amount of, of consistent effort on the protest side is that people, you know, want to be out there and, 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 and connected to this bigger, bigger goal. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sympathetic to the protesters because I, I want to hear what they have to say and I want to understand them. But sometimes it, it's hard for me to understand what's, what they want to say based on the types of signaling that happen at these events. They're, again, the perfect storm. It's often at night. People are drinking, stuff is on fire. It, it, it becomes a little, talk about an inarticulate message. It becomes a little bit harder to figure out exactly what people want. Do you think protesting, and this is not a trick question, I'm, I'm honestly interested in your answer. Do you think protesting works, Dwayne? 
I mean, I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect answer. Um, and I don't know if I'm the perfect person to answer it, but I do think protesting works. I think that the history of our country would show that protesting works. Everything yeah. that, that's, that's moved has come through enough people putting a line in the sand and saying no more. And they've done that with their bodies, with their voices, with actions. Um, and sometimes it's not just protesting in a picket sign, picket sign kind of way. Uh, it's, it's multiple types of protests. Um, but where you're willing to put your body and your voice on the line in order to make change, yeah. um, that's protest. And anytime you're protesting uh, um, uh, a status quo or uh, a circumstance that is no longer just or, or justifiable, uh, that's protest. And so I do think it works. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the right to vote. Otherwise, we would not have you know, uh, fair housing. We wouldn't have so many things as a society if people were not willing to, you know, voice that, voice that yeah. opinion. Yeah. I, I think protesting works too. I think that this certainly, it, it would be hard to imagine the civil rights movement without protests. Impossible. Right? But I also suffrage, think- Suffrage movement without protests, I mean. Yeah. But back to us being a bit more civilized and a bit more communicative in this highly educated society where we're all able to hold everybody accountable and have nuanced conversation. It does, it, it has surprised me recently to, to see protests take the kind of tone that they've taken. Um, and by do the way, think that they, do you think they've really taken the tone they've taken or do you think that the messaging from the powers of be? because I'm not on the ground in all of these cities, right? Yeah, me neither. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you're not either. We're all stuck at home. And so we are extracting information from sources. And so, you know, if the sources are saying that it's all violent, well, really it's not. Do we have, do we have enough knowledge to know exactly what's happening? So, you know, I, I, I also have wonder about what's really taking place in some of these, some of these areas. Well, there are different types of protests for sure. A protest doesn't have to be setting something on fire. Uh, I think you take a knee movement is a, is a form of protest. Yeah. But my, I, I'm still asking the question, and I, I'm asking a lot of people, not just you. I'm asking, yeah. I'm asking what, because what we really need here is change. We don't need virtue signaling. We don't need everybody virtue signaling. That won't be the change that we need. Right. But if virtue signaling, it's like a teeter-totter, right? If that's what triggers the, the movement, yep. when I say movement, <laughs> play on words there, I mean the, the behavioral shift. Action. Yep. It's necessary because you get enough people practicing the, the visual uh, virtue signaling. But I, I like, I grew up playing chess. You ever play chess? You know about it? Play quite a bit, yeah. Checkers is like one or two moves ahead. Check, chess is like four or five moves ahead. Yep. I'm like thinking about what comes next after what comes next. Yep. After, you get, after you get all the players and all the people in the stands taking a knee during the national anthem, what next? That's, yep. what, that's what I like to think about. Oh, and that, but that goes back to my previous point, right? It's, it's us being engaged civically in a point where we can hold the institutions accountable for actions. Mm -hmm. And so if, if, if everybody's on the same accord, right? If you have an entire stadium of people taking a knee, ideally they're taking a knee because they understand the issue. And if the issue is something that they actually now care about, then I would imagine that they're going to be willing to vote for people who care about similar issues that if something is on the ballot, they'd be willing to vote for that if it's a, an amendment or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. That if their city is not doing the things that they want them to do, they're willing to send an email, a phone call, 
and really pressure their elected officials to to make changes on the things that they now say they care about. So, you know, the process of educating people is where we are right now. I, I don't fully know what happens next, and that's why I would never discount the protests in all of their different forms. I don't agree with burning things. I don't agree with looting. I don't agree with with some of the, the more violent part of it, but I also don't agree that that's the majority of it. I think that's, that's a very small minority, but the message is just to focus on those individuals in order to skew the conversation. But um, I do think that as we have more people out here willing to voice and, 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 and really share perspective, you're educating an entire country about many things that we just don't talk about that were not addressed for at least for the last 50 plus years that, that weren't in our school books in a significant way. And I think a lot of people are learning about injustice in this country. We, we paint a very nice rosy picture as America, not only to our citizens, but to people abroad that want to come here for a chance at a better life. We, we very much kind of gloss over the poverty that we have. We gloss over the, the inequalities we have. We gloss over our prison system and the fact that we have the most highly incarcerated nation in the world. We gloss over the fact that our healthcare system fails a lot of people, income inequality. You know, these are things that are now being addressed and, and we're trying to get to the root cause of them. And you can only get to the root cause of them as you start to understand and unpack a little bit more of what's happening in this current environment. So um, that education is something, as I said, that it's been happening underneath our nose for all these years. Everything from, from redlining to incarceration has all happened within our generations. Yeah, but we just weren't paying attention to it. Is it a safe assumption? Is it a safe assumption, Dwayne, that? And I'm, I'm I'm asking a very simple question. I realize it's complicated. Is it a safe assumption that if if people are taking a knee, that they understand the issue? No, that they understand not, anything. That's not, that's not a safe assumption, no. And I worry about that too. But but but, but it's still progress in my mind, in the sense that they are willing to side, you know, like sometimes taking a side matters, even if you don't fully know the issues. I'm, I'm not great at it. As I told you, I like to weigh both sides of every issue before I take a stance. But if you can look over there and know that that's wrong, yeah. even if I don't fully understand what's happening over here, I can assume that maybe I'm on the better side because I know what's happening over there is not right. Right. So, for that part, I would say if people are taking a knee, even without fully understanding the depth of what's happening, they've seen enough to say, I know that I don't agree with that side. Right. Hmm. Um, another type of this virtue signaling, and maybe you would disagree with me that it's more than virtue signaling. It's more than, it's more than, some people call it revisionism. And mm -hmm. you can argue that, that history has been revised this way, then this way, then this way, then over here, then over here. You know, if you tell the story enough times, it can take all kinds of shapes. Yep. This idea of uh, statue removal and uh, names being uh, taken down from buildings is an right. interesting one because uh, while it's true that a lot of these guys, mostly guys, lived in a much different time and a lot of them were scoundrels, the, the 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 percentage of people who it turns out have issues is a, is very very high like like somebody told me one time all great men almost by definition have shadows that you know that follow them uh, because 
because this concept, nobody's perfect. And by the way, I'm not defending Woodrow Wilson or Thomas Jefferson or George or Washington, Washington or any of these guys. Yep. This was the time, you know, this is the way it was. And by the way, it's happened- The best you can with what you know. Yeah, and it's happened in every country, not just ours. We tend to focus on just the scoundrels in America, in America's history, but there are scoundrels in every country in all history. Right. Uh, when I learned to drive, I, I learned to focus 90, 95% of my time in the windshield and only 5% in the rearview mirror. If we keep taking, and I'm not saying we shouldn't take some of them down, but if we keep taking down statues of people who had shadows and renaming buildings, do you know how many schools are named Wilson and how many schools are named Jefferson? We're gonna be spending a shit ton of time and energy looking in the rearview mirror what, where do you, what is your perspective on this in terms of actual change? I mean, there's a lot in there. So we, we, I feel like we do spend quite a bit of time in other countries <laughs> telling them who they should follow and who they shouldn't follow. At least in the now, you know, America has become very much like that, that, uh, that police state, right? We go in other countries and tell them what's right, what's wrong. You need democracy. America's you know, policemen. You, you, need, you need to change the way you do this. I feel like we do spend a lot of time in other places trying to help them correct behavior. And, and now we're doing it at home. We're, we're doing a little house cleaning. Um, as far as taking down all the statues and everything else, I, I'm a little mixed on it. Um, I don't believe that we should be having um, symbols that represent, you know, bigotry or racism, et cetera. But I understand that everybody's past is varied and, and, you can do good things while still having a lot of flaws. Um, so I am not, that's not my focus personally, um, but I do understand that there are many people who look at those symbols and get pride from it in a way that is not helpful or that is that, that, that fuels more hatred uh, towards others. So they, they look at that symbol and they, they get a certain sense of it. You and I might look at it and say, oh, it's a piece of history. And they look at it and say, no, that's my birthright. That's my, you know, that, that, that shows that I, I am, you know, the, the original person of this country in XYZ. So I think it is important to correct the record. And I think part of why the statues are coming down is our history books don't teach us facts. When I talked about education, it's like we, our, our history books have whitewashed quite a bit of history, Native Americans, um, you know, Incas, Mayans, Black history, African history, we, we've whitewashed quite a bit. And I think that we are now having to reconcile with with truth in a very different way. And that's what I think is happening. Um, how important is it versus what's, what, we, what we need to do ahead? It's not at the highest priority, but I think we all know that symbols matter. Um, many people you know, love our flag, we love Jesus, we love the cross. We all know that symbols have power. And in essence, these are symbols that give power to some and essentially subvert power for others. We were talking earlier about how somebody who's a poor communicator leaves that message open to interpretation. Is a statue, is a statue provoking a reaction in people or is the reaction, what's the difference between inferred, what is it, inferred and uh, implied? You know, mm -hmm. did the statue imply racism or was it inferred by the person looking at it? I was talking well, to somebody the other day about statues and they said, well, 
they just don't want that in the middle of their town square, you know, because it, it, it reminds them of a bad time and it's a bad symbol, kind of like what you were saying just now. And then uh, we were talking, well, maybe, maybe because it's a part of the history, not by the way, not a part of the history that we're proud of, but I'm not, I, I also don't think that we should be revisionists and just uh, erase all the parts of history that we don't care for. Because well, eventually we can erase everything. Like I said, everybody's got issues. Yeah. Yeah, I and agree said, with well, you. What, what I'll say, though. Well, one second. Right, right. He said, move the statue to a museum where perhaps it could be in a more thoughtful, uh, less incendiary environment. And, and the person said, no, it would, still be, it would still be a negative symbol, no matter where it was. It has to, well, it has to be invisible. It has to be gone. I, I don't agree with that. I think, I think you know having things in museums and for people to learn about the good and the bad is important. That, that's why I said, I don't think we should whitewash history in any, in, in favor of either one. The truth yeah. is truth and we, we should lay it all out. I think that where the issue is, and I haven't studied this in the full depth, but a lot of the Confederate statues that are being torn down were put there with a very kind of nefarious and intentional purpose. The Daughters of the Confederacy, um, from what I understand, had a movement to erect these statues in places so that when they were dead and gone, their movement of the Confederate, you know, army was dead and gone and 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 no longer present because they, they had lost the war, these statues would remain as a symbol for people to hold on to that 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 sense of history. And yeah. so some of these statues were erected with a very intentional um purpose in order to again invoke certain feelings of, of white power and white supremacy in people and on the other side you know subvert other people's uh you know power or however you want to so i i do think that there's uh you know uh, george washington again somebody i probably wouldn't be looking to tear down yes he had slaves yes there's a whole lot of, of issues there but that statue wasn't erected with the goal of making other people feel inferior. But I think there are Confederate statues that were erected solely for that goal yeah. to be a symbol for white supremacy. And those are things I think, you know, the intention matters on some level. I mean, how do you, how do you determine which ones? You know, Washington's, uh, the famous thing about Washington now is that, that uh, you know, he, they were experimenting with false teeth back in the day. Slave he teeth. had teeth in his mouth from animals and slaves, his slaves. Yeah. And, he, and, the, and the story goes, who knows, that to feel better about taking their teeth, he paid them whatever, you know, mm -hmm. teeth. I mean, to me, this, I can't even, the whole thing is just gross in so many ways. Yeah. And, but who decides that Washington was more decent than, say, Andrew Jackson, who was a scoundrel with a capital S? I mean, Jackson didn't have, just have issues uh, with uh, African Americans. He had issues with uh, Native Americans. He had issues with the British, probably killed all three of them in equal numbers. And George Custer, who it wasn't even a black-white issue, is, you know, is, at least in his profiles, it was more him with uh, Native Americans. Mm -hmm. So I, I was reading uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, Talking to Strangers, and he, 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 and he dedicates a chapter to uh, each new chapter is about a famous person and how how that person was misunderstood or we didn't read that person very well, well because mm -hmm. 
the articulation wasn't there or because we inferred things from the message. And one of the chapters was on Sandra Bland. You know, yeah. the famous, yeah. uh, famous a video of millions of views on YouTube where a white police officer stops her. I think it was in West Texas. And the whole thing's on the dash cam. And uh, terrible things happen. Uh, yep. And when Malcolm Gladwell takes this apart, he does it like a journalist, you know? He's really interested in exactly what happened, not approximately, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, he, and it's this great line in the book. He says, he says, I think a lot of times what we do is we take, we take a, a, a big problem and we make it smaller than it needs to be. And he did that in the Bland chapter. He said, what, what most people did with the Sandra Bland incident is they made it a black-white issue or a white cop, black citizen issue. Mm -hmm. and he said, when really, he thought that this was a communication problem. These were two human beings, not a black person and a white person having trouble talking, but, a, but two human beings having trouble understanding each other. And I thought that was a fascinating, fascinating way to say it, that sometimes we make, we make big problems smaller than they really are. That, that if we just learned to talk to each other as people, maybe the color thing wouldn't be as important. But we keep talking to each other like black people and white people. Or superiors and inferiors. I yes. think that was more of a case of that officer felt slighted by her lack of respect, that he yes. didn't feel that she was giving him the proper do and I feel like you know this issue that we're seeing of of Black Lives Matter and and the 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 pushback against police brutality is part black white, but I think it's more power versus who doesn't have power. And in this country, it's always been black people. You do what we say, and I feel like that that's what brings up these feelings. Is anytime an officer feels slighted, the first thing that sometimes happens is the resort to to force and and violence, as opposed to again, as you said, how do we better communicate? and understand how to find some, some common ground. But if you don't look at that person as an equal, or if you don't look at them as you know, a human, or you don't look at them with the same level of respect that you would want for yourself, there's always gonna be some disconnect. And I feel like that was a big part of that, that disconnect is he didn't see her as somebody who should have been having a, a say in anything that he had to tell her to do. Yeah, and not to isolate Sandra Bland because it was a, such a weird, some would say common, some would say very unique situation. I'm okay yeah. with both descriptions. Uh, when, I, when I grew up, uh, we were taught, and of course a different time, right? And I'm not defending police brutality by any stretch, man. We got some of these clowns on video too, and they should all go yeah. to jail. Yeah. The, the ones that are perpetrating unnecessary violence on American citizens. But when I grew up, we were told we were taught that if a police officer asked you to do something, it was in your best interest to do it. Yeah. And, and, I, and we see like this independent stripe these days, and that's not just with coppers, but also with authority, where, and maybe this goes back to the accountability thing. This is, this is maybe where we challenge that accountability in ways that, don't, that aren't very articulate. But the police officer says, you know, uh, step out of the car and uh, step out of the car, please. And the person says, no, I'm not. Or in Sandra Bland's case, he asked her to put out her cigarette. Now, I didn't like the way he asked her, but that's how the whole thing got off on the wrong foot. She said, no, I'm not putting it out. And we see this all the time. Would you, would you get off your cell phone, please? I'm trying to talk to you. No, I'm not gonna get off my cell phone. And the, and the law enforcement views this as uncooperative. Correct. 
So again, people not actually talking to each other. Yeah. So, I mean, there is, um, there is a need for people to communicate to each other with respect, for mm -hmm. sure. And uh, I think that some of that is, is, is lost in, um, in our society. But I also think that, you know, we are, we, we were taught, you know, do what cops say because things can go left. And, but I also think cops have a, a responsibility at times to educate. Yeah. Because we're not learning, we don't learn police code in school. If I knew all the rules and laws that I was breaking and not abiding by and, and what code of the thing I was breaking, then it would be a different thing. But if you're telling me that smoking in my car is, is illegal and wrong and I need to put it out, well then explain to me why that is. Or if, if I'm being pulled over and I was going to, you know, six miles above the speed limit and that's breaking the law, okay, explain to me that, that code. Or I need to get out of the car and you need to search it, explain to me that code. So there's, yeah. I, on some levels, there's almost like an expectation on the officers that, that I've seen that get, that get very frustrated quickly. It's like, well, you should know you were doing something wrong. But not all the time does pe do people understand that what they're doing is not correct. So you're just, you know, you might have to explain like you're breaking section code of X, Y, Z. And this, you know, so that disconnect I think is there as well, you know? Yeah, plus, plus the heat of emotions, right? I don't know about you, but my pulse quickens, my heart rate quickens when I get stopped yeah. for anything. And I'm, I'm a pretty law abiding guy. I, I often don't even know what I did wrong. I say this like, yeah. I, I, say this like I get stopped every week. I haven't <laughs> stopped in a long time. But I always get a little tense because I know there's going to be some sort of an uncomfortable moment here. Of course. And I imagine most people have similar feelings. By the way, I don't think it's illegal to be on your cell phone when you're talking to the police officer. Yeah, it just might be rude or disrespectful. And again, yeah, taking that sign of disrespect as an immediate force of action. Right. And then I do not, the right may not be the right course. It may say, well, my job requires me to do X, Y, and Z, and you are preventing me from doing my job, and therefore you are breaking section code of the X, Y, Z, and you're, you know, obstructing justice, right? Right. And explaining that process and saying, okay, that's why I now have the right to, to and he may not be enforce, to enforce to enforce the law, but to go straight from I don't like the way that you told me no, you're not going to put out your cigarette, to now I'm going to drag you out of the car is is a huge leap, right, for anybody to to try to understand what's happening in that situation. And then to say, well, don't resist. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm being assaulted. Like yeah. the natural reaction is to resist. So, you know, I think that there is, there is opportunities for human beings, for all of us to know our rights and our, 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 the law better and, and what we're doing or not doing. And also for us to understand the roles of police and, and how they can or should or, or are trained to communicate. So I think there's, there's opportunities on both sides to improve. I don't, I don't think it's a, a one issue or the other. Yeah. Um, but it is hard not to take it as race sometimes because of the, 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 the history of this country um, of always having to do everything that a, a white person said, right? That was, that was kind of a historical thing. And it is, feels like it's still structured within some of our systems. And so sometimes it's not race driven, right? Yeah. Some, of the, some of these interactions that we see are not necessarily black or white. It's just power and not power in my eyes. It's like you did not obey my power and my, my authority and therefore, now I want to, you know, enforce it on you or, you know, show you that I have it. Yeah, I, I can tell you, um, and I don't experience anything near what, what black people experience, I, I don't suppose, during a traffic stop. I mean, um, first of all, I, I don't get stopped that often. Thank I, God. 
it's usually rolling a stop sign or something careless like that. I've never had an altercation, an arrest, anything like that. So, um, but I can tell you, I almost never like the way the copper talks to me. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is they don't get very good training in terms of uh, communication. And you know what they get trained on the most is the law. But they don't get trained on de-escalation. They don't get trained on communication skills. They don't get trained on... Um, there was a guy by the name of Tom. Conflict resolution. Huh? Conflict resolution. Conflict yeah. resolution. There was a guy named Thompson who wrote a book called Verbal Judo. I don't yeah. know the name of the title because I liked it. That, that, that You don't actually have to engage physically because yeah. you know how to handle your vocabulary and, 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 and talk to people. I, I just love that. And I don't see nearly enough of that in these, uh, in these types of situations. So, I mean, that's what I said. That's what I agree. And, you know, that's what I think that this, this pushback is a history, whether it's, again, so a lot of these things may not be race-driven, but the history of this country was race-driven, right? The history of policing came from slave patrols and the history of enforcing the law and, and using it punitively against black people has been a history of things. So even if now it's not, it's hard to equate the two. If it's just a communication issue, it's hard to say, well, that's all it was, right? So that's where I think our, our dealing and addressing some, addressing some of our, our, our nation's history is being helpful for us to have these better communications. Because now if I understand that you are triggered, right? I'll use another word, use virtue signaling as a you know, kind of new word. This triggering is a, is a word I've learned over the last couple of years. But you know, if, if people are being triggered by the way that the officer's talking, again, it might not be just that officer, it's like a history, it's like a, a series of events and, and, and experiences that have happened in your, in your life that this person has now triggered this feeling of um, they're trying to subjugate me, you know? So, so, so having, having a better tone, I'm sure would be helpful in some of these scenarios, but then on the officer side, they may feel like if my tone is too nice, then you don't feel me as an authority and you won't yeah. respect me. Well, I think some balance, anytime you're talking to somebody with authority, if they're too nice, you know something's wrong. Yeah, but yeah. where are we but going? Trying to trick you. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about four and five moves ahead. You know, where, where, and when, and what does it look like when, when we get to a place where virtue signaling isn't necessary, protests aren't necessary, uh, and maybe this is a maybe maybe they'll always be necessary. Uh, but if we're looking for a better place, if we're trying to get to higher ground, what does that look like? How do we know when we're there? What are you hearing from the street and, and your great organization, Soulful, it's a soulfulsynergy.org, where you're doing yep. this type of community outreach and, and uh, helping people have a voice and helping people get sorted out on these types of issues. What's it look like and how do we know we're there? Um, that's a big one, my friend, because there's so many issues that right now seemingly require protests. You know, fair pay, I mean, it's still something that people have to protest, that, that my time is valuable and that if I'm giving you 40 hours of work week, uh, you should be paying me something decent that I can live on, that I can actually use to support myself and my family. And if people don't have that, they'll always be protesting. Um, if people don't feel like they have equal rights under the law, they should always be protesting. If I feel like I'm being treated differently because of where I live, because of my economic status, because of the color of my skin, I have a right to speak up about that. So. Um, where it will stop is I think when we bring humanity back into our society, 
where it's not the haves and have nots and who has power and who doesn't have power, where we try to do a more shared, you know, experience where, where we are really looking out for each other. My brother's keeper, my sister's keeper. Yeah. We take other people's, uh, um, you know, livelihood into, into account when we're making certain actions, both at the high policy level, at the corporate level, when we're setting, you know, salaries and incomes, when we're looking at healthcare, when we're looking at these things with a, a true human perspective, like how does this thing impact somebody? And is it enough for them to be able to live the true life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness lifestyle that we claim to present, you know, yeah. that's, that's where it will change. When, when we get back to a place where people over profits, as opposed to right now, it's profits over people, or right now it's profits over planet, and we're destroying our planet in pursuit of money and power. And, and you, when we rebalance the scale, we got to get back to priorities, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever lived in a time where, and maybe it's empty, empty talk, but where people have been more concerned about the planet and, and, and corporations have been more green. And maybe we've got a long way to go. Yeah. I, I, when I grew up, there was none of this uh, yeah. care about the planet and these uh, outreach programs, community outreach programs that companies have. Um, you mentioned fair pay. Is that a black white issue or is that bigger? Is that making the problem smaller than it really uh, is? It's not a black white issue. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, in some cases, obviously, it affects minorities more than it affects whites. I mean, we know the data shows women, that women have been fighting the fair pay. Issue women, yep, that we know that it affects you know, uh, minority communities more than whites. We know it affects women more than white uh, than than men. Um, so it's not a black white issue, but I do think it is still a a power issue. You know, if you want to hold power in this country, economics is the way to do it. We're a capitalist country, so. Mm-hmm. He who has the gold makes the rules. And so if you want to subjugate minorities, you want to subjugate women and make them less powerful, pay them less. Now they have less, less tools in their tool belt to fight back. And we know, unfortunately, as I said, the, the, the lack of civic engagement in our country's uh, uh, you know, Congress and at the, at the uh, lawmaking level um, has allowed for lobbyists and big money interests to control the narrative, to control policy. And so if you're trying to keep status quo, you keep certain people poor because then they can't really speak up with, with what matters, unfortunately, which is, you know, the, the vote of the dollar. Yeah. Have you uh, listened much to Thomas Sowell? A little bit. He talks, more rec- more he talks recently, about, yeah. he thinks, and I'm not a huge fan. I'm f- vaguely familiar with his, his books and stuff. Yep. He thinks that, he thinks that a lot of this is, um, uh, I don't know, not helpful for advancing race relations. He thinks that it's kind of a, uh, and these are, these are not his words, the kind of feeding the bears mentality. You know, if we yep. help people too much, they won't, they won't learn how to do it themselves. Yep. He thinks that fair pay is already in place and has statistics to back it up. Um, it's so confusing because he sounds like he really knows what he's talking about, but then you hear other people that say there's just no way that, that, that it's an equitable system. Well, I mean, I don't think that we value work enough in general. So I'll, I'll say not fair pay in terms of black, white, male, female. I think that those statistics are out there. Yeah. I just think in general, if you have somebody like Jeff Bezos making billions of dollars, daily almost now, it seems like, 
um, and, and the workers were putting in the labor, making $15 an hour, there's not a shared interest or investment in, in the companies, right? And I just think that in general, our capitalist nature could be a little bit more shared, uh, you know, profit sharing. I think that, that that is a model that we can start to look to and figure out how do we value people's time, effort, and labor without it all going to, to a select few. Um, I think it's important to, to be an entrepreneur and a businessman, which I am, and I think it's important to be the person who has the ideas and the vision and who implements, but I think it's also important to have people genuinely invested in the success of your company, and if you pay people peanuts or have nothing that you offer them as far as benefits or, or things that, that best them, they're not going to do a great job, so you're going to have bad service, at, at, at which you have at plenty of places like Walmart or you know other places where... People aren't really vested in the company, they're just there for the check. And you have no pride or sense of value in the work that you're doing. So I just think if we get back to, again, humanity in, in, in our capitalism, I think it will be a benefit to all. Uh, Soulful Synergy, my company, we spend a lot of time focusing on workforce development so that we can help people find meaningful employment. We do training in energy efficiency training and training in the construction trades and training in places where you know, you have upward mobility in careers, um, even if you have to start, quote unquote, at the bottom, but there's upward mobility based on, you know, if you put in enough work or you put in enough time, your knowledge will take you further than the degree will X, Y, Z. And I just feel like, and you can also have pride in your work, you know, that the work that you're doing is having an impact. Um, I think we want as many people to feel that as possible. Yeah. And I think some people don't feel that. Uh, I think our central workers maybe now feel a little bit of that, you know, working in the in the cash register. They now see how important their job is and maybe didn't feel it before. Or, you know, now we're showing so much love and support to our nurses. Um, but I think every occupation, to the best of our ability, we should try to give that sense of value that what you're doing matters and try to pay accordingly that, that you're contributing in a way that is, that is useful. And if at the end of the week you feel like you can't support your family, you don't. You can't help but feel like a failure, even if your work brings you some kind of fulfillment. You can't help but almost feel like you're failing because there's nothing substantive that you can use to support the people that matter most to you. Is your feeling that uh, that a lot of people that work at Amazon are not able to feed their families because I'm, I'm trying to follow here? It, My it, feeling it, is that up. they just increased the minimum wage to fifteen dollars very recently, and before that they were paying them, you know above minimum wage but not significantly more and right. uh and there was a lot of people having difficulty making ends meet yeah. um you had walmart another company that makes multi-billions and a lot of their employees are on food stamps or some form of, of government assistance yeah so that's not a me feeling that's a that's a you know a statistical thing yeah. and in essence we as americans are subsidizing with our tax dollars those individuals now having to go on some form of public assistance to get benefits. So I'm also with Thomas Sowell. I don't want to see a bunch of handouts. I don't want to see people having to feed off of the system. We want to make people self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-sustainable, but you can't really do that if we're not valuing work at the level that it, that it probably should be. Do you feel any better about Bill Gates, who, if you, if you go back in time, instead of using the name Jeff Bezos, we would have talked about Bill Gates and Microsoft. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Gates has pledged to give away all of his money, has given away millions, maybe billions of dollars, and yep. then, then signed up a bunch of his friends to do the same thing. It was a big thing uh, eight or 10 years ago that none of them wanted to die with any money. 
which probably pissed off all their kids. <laughs> but but Gates, it came from Andrew Carnegie. Gates makes the money and then gives it away. How do you know that Bezos isn't going to do the same thing? That it, it, I, maybe all won't be forgiven, but does it make why? him a better person? Why? why, why I, I, I do and I don't. I mean, why wait 30 years to give away all the money when you could be improving lives today? Um, if you if you change the structure of the business, it's not going to drastically affect your life. You know, Bezos will still be doing quite all right, um, but you would improve the ability for people to have more sustainable income to take care of their families, to invest, to retire better, to to make their communities safer and healthier, yeah. um, and not have to work as many hours to get the same amount of pay, which means they can be more civically engaged or more engaged in their family life. I don't really. I, I kind of find the the giving away all the money useful and a little a little scam shamish shammy kind of thing. Um, it's actually a book made on the uptick. There's a book, uh, Winners Take All, and I haven't fully read it, but I've watched several interviews of the writer Anand um, Galapina. I, I can't pronounce his last name. I don't even want to ruin it. But Winners Take All, and he talks about this society that we've created, in which again those at the top make so much and then basically give back small little pins to kind of pacify us. Similar to like what our government does at times, you know, like right now you have Black Lives Matter protesting and some of our local governments are like, we'll give you a mural, right? And hopefully that will make you feel happy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're making, yeah, we're, 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 we're running, we're running the game. And here's a little something to, you know, to, to quiet you, you, you peasants down. And that's kind of what happens at some of these levels. I'm not talking about Bill Gates specifically, but just, you know, I don't want to uh, discount people being generous because at some point they don't have to be, right? They could all just be greedy and keep it all. But you also have to figure out what role are you playing in benefiting or hurting society? And Jeff Bezos has the opportunity through paying better wages to make more of an impact than he would giving away money to specific organizations to put band-aids on problems that are yeah. root cause issues. Um, and at the same time, I do feel like um, we have to, again, get back to providing people more, more sense of worth and sense of our shared experience. And I think that that's important when, when people have a job that they are excited about, when they have time to spend with their family, when they're more present in life, as opposed to working countless hours. I think that that's all a, a humanity issue. I think it all brings back to you know, quality of life. Yeah. We began this conversation talking about role models. Can you can you talk about a role model business person of any color who who is paying more than minimum wage or being more than fair to employees who that who can kind of set the tone and set the table for other business owners? It's a good question. I'm gonna have to go do some research on that one. I'm even um, thinking it would be helpful to have a, a person of color uh, yeah. doing extremely well, leading the way, you know, by example. Yeah, no, I, I would have to go and, uh, and, and look at the, at the research. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, you know, I know recently somebody put something up online. I'm not really, I don't use almost any of these apps, Spotify or Apple Music, um, but somebody had put up something saying that Tidal, which is Jay-Z's company, um, it's a streaming platform that streams music just like Apple and everything else that Apple and, and Spotify will pay their uh, artists like fraction of the percentage versus what he pays. But for some reason, um, 
that platform doesn't have as many users or as much um, traffic. Yeah. So I, I do think that, you know, these are things that we have to start investigating and hopefully make me making that, that information more readily available. Because I don't really know what happens at all the corporate levels, but I do know um, that a fight for 15 or, or any kind of basic minimum wage um, that becomes livable is still a protest that's happening. And um, I don't think people would have to fight for it um, if it wasn't affecting their lives. If people were, were living comfortably on $7.50 or $7.25 of minimum wage, then they wouldn't protest. Um, so is, fact, you know, so is there like this uh, punch list of things that have to happen in order for you know, the people protesting, whoever they are, because we've seen people of all color protesting this year. Yep. For them to feel better about this situation, uh, is there like a, an even a punch list of things? Think, like, is it minimum? I think there is. Is it, is it uh, some sort of education component? Is it, you know? No, I don't think that's what these protests are about. I, I think plenty of protests in the past have been about that. Occupy Wall Street is definitely about that. Um, yeah. I think these protests are about accountability um, that right now, again, uh, I, I did a, a panel discussion last week or two weeks ago in which the title was abuse of power. And it's one of the things I've been kind of looking at. When you have power, you should have a responsibility to wield it responsibly. Yes. Right. And if you're using power to inflict damage, harm against communities or individuals that don't have the power to fight back, I consider that to be an abuse, right? You're taking this power that, that you have, the, the, the leverage that you wield, and using it to subjugate people in a way that's not right. So yeah. I feel like this movement in what it is trying to say is we understand that we as a society give our officers power. We have, we have granted that authority to them, right? It's all a social contract, you know? Yes, it's legally binding in, in a lot of places, but it's a social contract in which we say our, we give our police power to patrol our communities and make them safer. We give our government institution the power to make laws on our behalf and to represent us. We give our yeah. president power to go out and speak on our behalf to the world and to, and, and to represent us you know, on the global stage. We, we, we bestow these powers as individuals to, to, to do this work on our behalf. And anytime somebody is breaking that contract and breaking that trust and, and abusing that authority, that is gonna get a pushback. Um, and it's getting louder because I think we all feel like our systems, not just in policing. I think that again, policing is a is a is a is a piece of what's happening. Um, and many people that's that may be their main issue that are on the streets, and maybe other people have other issues. But I think what people are feeling in this sense is that if we can get this, and this is how I feel, if we can get this issue under control to some accountability, where if you do something wrong there's a chance that you're gonna lose your job, your pension, that you will be held accountable, that you'll go to prison, then that's progress. And then if we can do it in this institution and this system, we can do it in this system, in our, in our government, we can do it in housing, we can do it in healthcare, we can do it at Wall Street. You know, it's like, there are so many places where we have let things go so far out of control, where there's no accountability, people crashed the economy and, and didn't serve not a lick of time, paid back very minimal. Um, I think that that's kind of a, you know, the call to action for a lot of people is that we are seeing every institution that we grant this authority to work and protect us and, and work on our behalf, taking advantage of our, of our goodwill. Yeah. 
Well, I'm hoping that we can find some sort of a way to measure success because I do oh, think, so we're, yeah. I think we're I mean, on I clear. I didn't properly answer your question, but yeah, I do. Well, you uh, mentioned with, these are, these are, you know, I, I really appreciate you doing this with me today because these are not easy things to talk about. No. Nobody has the answers. If we did, we'd have it figured out by now. Right. And it's just one person talking to another, yep. trying to, you know, gain perspective. And uh, uh, I really value your time. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Did we answer every problem of the world? No, but we'll have to have a couple more beers to do that. <laughs> I'm a tequila guy. Um, <laughs> but, but I will say, I will say to, to your point, I, just because I'll, I'll try to bring it home, um, that within these protests, I think there was, there's levels. And I think there's always going to be some levels again until everything is, is right. But first it was, we wanted to see the cops that perpetrated, you know, that, that killing and that murder against George Floyd be held accountable. And first they, they arrested one and people thought, well, that's enough. The guy's arrested. Well, what about the others? So then they arrested them or, or you know, um, you know, took their badge, et cetera. Um, and so then people thought, well, that's enough. But there's these type of acts happening on a regular basis. And I think that's when you'll see this movement specifically start to take a little bit of a, of a turn or die down, right? If, if the system of policing is, is no longer committing atrocities like Sandra Bland, and, and, and like George Floyd, right, or, or Breonna Taylor is not committing those type of actions without any accountability, I think you will see a push pullback from this movement and maybe it'll morph into something else and there'll, there'll be a different issue to address. Yeah. But in this specific environment, it's more about we, again, we hold people to a certain standard, right? You say you want to become an officer, you say you want to become a congressman, you swear an oath, an oath and you are supposed to comport yourself and hold yourself to a certain high regard. And when you don't do that, it's like breaking that contract. And I think that people just want to be able to see that there is some accountability when you do that. Yeah. And I hope that's a place that we get to where everybody's treated equally. Cause if you did that at your job and you did something egregious, you would lose your job. You would have, a, you know, you would have some blowback and some price to pay. And um, that's what we want to see with our systems. Well, let's keep talking. You got it. Anytime. Uh, this, is, this is Dwayne Norris, everybody. His website is soulfulsynergy.org. He's a good person. He's a Rotarian. That's how we initially got together. I hope our paths cross uh, when all this uh, COVID stuff dries right. up. I'm sure it will. I have, I have no doubt. Me and Rotary are not going anywhere. <laughs> I've been a Rotarian seven years. I'll, I'll, I'll be out there on the front lines doing what we I can do. You and I are going to be speaking at some similar events, and we're going to be at the bar with tequila right after them. You got it. All right. You got it. Thanks very much. Thanks, Michelangelo. Appreciate it.